I'm Frederick Curtin, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. And this is the Pushback Talk Summer Series, which there its own special music made by Florencia de Concilio, who made a score for Push. So, Leilani, it's summer, it's hot in Canada, it's hot in Europe, and everybody still keeps talking about homes, housing, markets, you know, it, it, it keeps going. It's a big thing in your own country, isn't it? It's a huge thing here in Canada, in the U.S., across Europe. It is really one of the it issues continues to be during this pandemic. Crazy, crazy times. And our government went down in a debate around market rents. So why, why are homes not so well suited for the market? How, how do you explain that? Good question. People need a place to live. And the pandemic exposed that so clearly, right? That home is a place for safety and security. And if markets control housing, what we've seen in the last 10 years in particular, is they make housing too expensive for people to be able to afford. And it means people live in really crappy housing, or they're pushed out of their cities, and they're living in homelessness, sometimes in cars and tents, none of which is safe or secure. In the pushback talks, we've made uh, quite a few episodes. We're going to, this summer, going to look back into some of the interviews we've made. And one of the most interesting guests we had was the vice president of the European Commission. This is like one of the, like the vice president of Europe, uh, Franz Timmermans. Do you remember that call we made? I remember that episode very well. And I really think it's a good one to start off our summer series because here is the vice president of the European Commission. It's a very powerful position. And he made some startling comments during our podcast. I think people should revisit as they're taking in the sun and the summer, looking forward. They can hold Franz Timmermans to his words. Uh, I mean, he said that the markets haven't been working and that the European Union was kind of wrong to just uh, open up housing to markets and that it's an issue that needs to be looked at again and that change is required and more regulations. So that's a huge admission from someone like Franz, who himself, I think, believed in the market uh, during his own career. So let's please listen to Franz Timmermans from Pushback Talks earlier this year. Franz was, he is the, the vice president of the European Union, of the European Commission, and he is also the former foreign minister of the Netherlands. Listen to Franz Timmermans. Well, I, I think, I think um, the housing crisis is, is one of the hidden uh, socioeconomic problems in our society. Everybody experiences it. Uh, increasing number of Europeans are, are, are unable to, to afford a decent uh, roof over their heads. Um, speculators have taken over large parts of what used to be social housing. 
and and still we see it as a sort of an individual problem we 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 don't see it enough as a collective problem as 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 a problem of failing redistribution and i think in that sense the housing crisis is is, is a, a clear example of where where our market based economy has gone wrong since sort of the reagan thatcher years to 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 assume that everything can be based on profit and that and that the market in itself is just which it isn't i'm interested to hear you talk a little bit franz if you will about how you think um europe has gone wrong you said that you know, you think that the market system um, doesn't work and and isn't working. Um, But has the EU itself, has the Commission played a role in that, do you think? And what's your assessment of the Commission's position? Well, well, globally speaking, I think uh, all levels of government uh, in the last, well, 30, 40 years have um, um, embraced uh, market forces as forces for the good. And in many areas, they, they, they turn out to be forces for the good. But in housing, housing where, of course, we at the European level have very, very little to say because we have very little competence. Uh, but housing is, is too, it's too many-faced. It's too complicated to just apply uh, market rules. And, and that's where, where you see uh, when the rules of competition are applied in the housing market, um, it, it has sometimes effects that I think basically were not wanted uh, initially. Um, and, and I can refer to my own country, the Netherlands, as an example, where social housing, there's always been a sort of a, a model whereby uh, social housing is not just for the poorest, uh, because that's, that's sometimes in some countries the idea, social housing is for people who can't afford anything else. But you can make decent living affordable for a large group if you organize social housing across society uh, and that's what was the the model in 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 traditional social de- democracy it started in europe 100 years ago but then when market forces came about um uh, they thought well we can help social housing by bringing it to the market and the only effect of that was soaring housing prices and and housing becoming less affordable. And 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 then the Commission, if you bring it to the market, the European Commission has the uh, the treaty obligation to apply market rules. And then you know you put limits on social housing. You look whether competition is fair. You look whether there's not too much state aid. And that's where I think we we got stuck. We got stuck with one logic, which says not too much state aid, fair competition, and the other other logic that says we need to organize housing in the best possible way, in an equitable way, uh, so that you create a decent redistribution. I mean, in the film we meet uh, Professor Stieglitz uh, talking about, um, of course, also the legacy from Milton Friedman and Chile and the whole... The Chicago school kind of economics with deregulations, deregulation. But that politics also became partly also the European Social Democrats adopted that in many countries, also in my own country. They thought it was necessary to to speed up the economy in many ways, but the, so they opened the door, but they forgot to close it. I think I think the issue is you know, when uh, um, uh, Reagan and Thatcher, or I should say Thatcher and Reagan, because she she was first, when they started this idea of unleashing forces by deregulating, it did work. It did bring economic growth. Um, and then when Social Democrats came back to power, they thought, of, uh, they thought they could be sort of like 
judo uh, wrestlers, you know, take that force that was moving in one direction and sort of bend with it in the same direction and turn it around to uh, serve uh, social purposes. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't work enough or it didn't work at all. And I think in housing, it didn't work. If you compare the rise of salaries with the rise of housing prices, the gap has only gotten bigger. There is something still particular and peculiar about housing or in its other name, residential real estate. There's something um, untouched about housing. I'm seeing it even in this pandemic. Like, it's like, yes, we understand the importance of healthcare now. We now understand even, um, you know, employment and wages, et cetera. We're revisiting all of that. And there remains this stubbornness around (laughs) housing because of the role it plays in economies, I think. I agree. And I, I believe it's also linked to, to one of the fundamental notions in any market-based economy, which is linked to the, the sanctity of private property. Uh, and, and since you, uh, housing has been privatized to such an extent, which, which you would think means privatized that the, 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 whole, the people who dwell in the housing also own the housing, which sadly is not the case. Um, and so you've sanctified, um, you know, you've, sant- you've actually sanctified uh, slumlords, um, to, to put it in the most radical way. Um, and that's what you saw in a financial crisis. You saw uh, across the Western world how they first got people into financial trouble um, uh, before the crisis. And then when the crisis hit, they got themselves out of trouble and the people out of their houses. Uh, in in many countries, um, so I think there's something really fundamentally wrong here. That is that is a, a bigger issue that that is hidden a bit, uh, uh, and and that because because it addresses some of the most fundamental things in any free society. Uh, and I think private property or the misunderstanding of what private property is in housing, I think, is part of it. Blackstone, who. Is I mean, they entered the housing market in 2012, and now they're like the biggest player on the planet. In a very, it's a very short time, and, and you can see their business model is copied by lots of other firms, and they're moving in, and you, I can also see in my own town here, the concentration of ownership is it's moving very fast. But I have the impression that this is even exacerbated now in the pandemic because, because there's so much money that's looking for a good investment. So much money, and that, that that people are putting it in real estate because it's 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 a safe bet. But they, I wonder who profits from that. It's the it's the people with all that money that's looking for a place that are now buying uh, real estate at incredible rates. And and what happens afterwards? What happens to the people who live there? What's going to happen to their rents, etc.? So I, I think we have to be extremely careful that the pandemic doesn't exacerbate all of this right now. Many, many mistakes were made in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. Many mistakes were made. And we now have an opportunity now that we have to come back from the pandemic to 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 be aware of those mistakes, not repeat them and sometimes even correct them. Can you do you have a sense that that your colleagues around Europe are now much more aware about this? I think so. And if you, you know, all the programs uh, from the extreme right uh, to the radical left, uh, they're all on the socioeconomic side. They're all, I would say, left leaning. Uh, even the most liberal party now is is advocating uh, government intervention, redistribution. I'm not sure they mean it and I'm not sure they'll all do it, but they know that's what the people are asking for. And look at the United States. Did you see that stimulus package? Would you think that would have been 
possible because it's not just about giving because the the right in the US just wants to give tax relief the, 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 you know it's it's like it's like a, a medieval doctor who thinks that bloodletting is the only cure for any uh, illness uh, the right is still on the line that the only cure for any illness is uh, is tax relief. Well, to what point can you still relieve taxes if, if if people aren't even paying taxes if they're very rich? So now with the, the Biden administration, you see that they're turning a page in the US and I find it amazing. And I hope the rest of the world is watching because we're going in a different direction now. What hope is there in Europe for those big structural changes and I'm, I I know that um, um, European parliamentarian Kim uh, Van Sparentak uh, put forward a report that was adopted by the EU Parliament over 300 votes in favor. I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that and do you think that's a sign of something because it really affirms the right to housing it talks about financialization etc. Well I think we're on the verge hopefully of uh, rediscovering the need to have um, a public uh, context or say, public framework uh, for, for housing to be fair. Um, and indeed, the report is clear on that. The problem, however, is that we have very, very limited competences at the European level uh, to look into the issue. So we need to convince um, at the member state level, uh, politicians uh, to act. And then there are huge differences. Um, you know, the de- definition of social housing differs hugely between Sweden and, and, and Spain or France and the Netherlands or Italy and, and Finland. Um, to, so to find common ground is extremely complicated. Um, but I think what they all will face is, first of all, the need to uh, to bring housing to a higher level. Uh, we we the the energy consumption of housing is is reduced. Existing housing is reduced by but one percent a year. If we want to make climate neutrality by twenty fifty, it has to double to at least two percent a year, and that's a massive investment, and that will have to be done partly with public and partly with private money. So so that's a huge operation. Um, uh, secondly. The risk of energy poverty, already now 30 million Europeans just don't put on any heating in the winter because they're afraid they can't afford to pay uh, the bill. So we need to make sure that not just because uh, of the climate, but also because of the affordability that we bring down energy consumption and that we offer much cheaper forms of heating or cooling housing, solar panels, heat pumps, uh, city uh, heating or cooling, uh, using hydrogen in the future, etc., and all of that also warrants massive investments. But also comes with huge opportunity, because as soon as you start investing in this, you get the housing sector working again, you get builders working again, and it's across society that you will immediately see an increase in in production and increase in in labour. So so. We're in a, in a transformational day and age, and we could get this right. We could also get it terribly wrong. In the, the talk we had with the Danish housing minister, Kordy, but he said something really, really radical. That he said that also a bus driver and a nurse have the right to live in, in town. <laughs> and and that's like, it shouldn't be radical, but it is. Well, you, you know, it's not just about having the right. The town has the need. We have in, in parts of the Netherlands, uh, schools can't get teachers in the biggest cities because the teachers can't afford to live in those cities. 
So, so it's not just because you 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 think people have the right for that. You need to start thinking. It's in your interest. You want you want your kids to have teachers. Then you have to get collectively organized so that the teachers can actually live in the cities. One of the things I wanted to bring up um, on a previous podcast, we were speaking with a author and uh, academic Rory Hearn from Ireland. He's written a book called Housing Shock, very much about what we're talking about here today, financialization, housing, and affordability. And he, one of the, thi- one of the things uh, he said that he thought could happen at European level um, is that the European Investment Bank could harness more resources that then flow to states for the development of social housing. That for example, Ireland was receiving money from the European Investment Bank, but enough to build 400 units when they need 4,000 units kind of thing. So I don't know if you think that there is possibility there with the Investment Bank, which has shown um, some sensitivity to this as a, an important issue. Absolutely, absolutely. And the bank is more than willing to do that. Um, they have had a couple of projects uh, that are extremely successful. One I know is in the north of France, where they uh, modernized social housing and brought it up to standard also in terms of uh, climate. Um, and it was a huge success. The The challenge for the European Investment Bank and the other financial institutions actually, but I know the EIB a bit better, is to find the scalability of this. You know, they, they're willing to do this. Most financial institutions are because investment in real estate is, is pretty safe if you compare it to, to other investments. So if you take out a loan against against a house, it's pretty safe, uh, especially if you uh, modernize it professionally, if you uh, if you do it right with support of also the local and, and national authorities, it's just a safe bet. So there is a huge willingness in the financial world uh, to do this. So our task at the European Commission is to see whether we can scale this up. Um, that we can, you know, create a wave, a renovation wave, literally across the European Union. That would because you know, starting with social housing is not so bad because that's usually uh, of enough um, amplitude uh, to really make a difference. Um, and and so that's what we want to do, and combine it with schools and hospitals, and bring them up to speed as well. And I think that's what we should be doing in the next couple of years. And then we, you will see an improvement in social housing. And, and, and so many people, especially who are already struggling, are extremely sceptical about the European Green Deal and about all the changes it brings. And if we can show to them that it's a win-win-win, uh, you know, you get, you get uh, more work, uh, you get a better house, you get a lower uh, energy bill. If we can show that, they will start believing it. Just by saying it, they won't believe it because they've been let down too often. Um, but by showing that it works, I think we can really create a new movement. Mm-hmm. And by preventing renovations. <laughs> yes, exactly. Of course. We're still up against the vulture funds, and the vulture funds are really, really hungry. And I mean, also, especially there, as there is this big renovation need, I can see here in Sweden, for example, the many smaller cities are selling houses to be able to build new, but they're actually selling two apartments to be able to build one new. So the, the, the city-owned housing stock goes down all the time, which is, like, of course, not so good. And, and, the, and the players coming in are the Blackstones, the Fonavias, or, or other financialized institutions. But, but we, should, we should be treating this as a natural phenomenon. 
this can happen because there's no regulation because this, because the the public authorities don't intervene you have all the possibility uh, to intervene and i i would argue if we can bring it to light there will be huge public outcry and people will want uh, authorities to intervene that's that's why you see cities like like berlin reacting and time will tell whether the reaction is right or whether it's counterproductive. But the fact that they react is, is, is already a sign that public authorities understand the responsibility. And I hope we can increase that across Europe and across the world uh, in the years to come. If you take a place like Portugal, I mean, I know it because I visited there. They were very clearly told by the European Central Bank, um, as well as the international financial institutions, to liberalize their housing uh, market and uh, their housing system, I should say. And some of that was true. I mean, there were there were some antiquated aspects of Portugal's um, housing system. There's no doubt about that. But it also led to things like golden visas. Um, it led to the dominance of Airbnb in the city centers, etc. And I mean, the city governments and national government would argue back, you know, saying, well, we did this because of what European Central Bank was telling us to do and what the international financial institutions were telling us to do. So some sort of outspokenness at European level on this issue could probably benefit those courageous governments like city government of Lisbon, the national government of Portugal, Catalonia, etc. If you see what I mean. Well, I see what you mean, but but not everything that was done was wrong. By the way, let's not let's no. not say that. And I as said well. that. Yeah. You you also said that, uh, Leilani. But but what I want to say is this: through the covenant of mayors and through other ways of engaging with local authorities. This is exactly what we're trying to do as European Commission, to share the best experiences, to empower them to do that, because, you know, especially in cities with housing, come uh, 5G, come uh, emission-free public transport, come cycling lanes, which are now coming to all major cities, all huge investments. And if they put them in the recovery plans that we're assessing right now, you know, we have 1.8 trillion uh, to spend in the next seven years to recover uh, from the pandemic and to transform our society in sustainable societies. Uh, we encourage member states to come up with ideas for the renovation wave, and we will sort of steer that uh, hopefully in the right direction. Um, and that's the influence we can now uh, exert on, on, on the plans that are being made. And we'll absolutely do our best and bring the best experiences to the table, uh, have um, local authorities also talk to each other, um, et cetera, et cetera, bring the banks into this. Um, and, and you know, you have some extremely capable uh, local authorities uh, across the European Union. Um, sometimes, uh, uh, like in, in Lisbon, they, 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 they're really moving ahead really fast, uh, astonishingly fast uh, in the right direction. Sometimes they're at odds with the national authorities. You know, if, if in Central Europe you have some very uh, forward-looking cities like Warsaw and, and Budapest, and, uh, Prague, and then they are, they are sort of stifled by the national authorities because, because of political differences. Uh, and then we also need to make sure that we don't create a political conflict, but we put the uh, citizens uh, front and center and, and their needs. Um, so, yeah, it's challenging, but I think we're moving in the right direction. It's, uh, obviously, you would say it's a bit late and you're absolutely right. But, uh, you know, you, you can only change a thing once the sense of urgency is, is, is there. You don't have to convince anybody, not one citizen. You need to convince that housing is important. Uh, but the... Uh, problems, structural problems behind 
their dissatisfaction very often are hidden and we need to bring them to light before we can fix them. So Leilani, that was Franz Timmermans, uh, the vice president of the European Commission. It's kind of cool to have to understand that uh, a top social democrat, a, a liberal, is kind of saying we did wrong and we need to do better. I think that's quite hopeful, isn't it? It's very hopeful. And I also like the fact that he knows that as we go through this green wave of renovations in Europe to, to you know, to decarbonize housing, he seemed very alive to the fact that that has to be done in a way that doesn't disturb tenants and doesn't create evictions. So we will be holding Franz Timmermans to to what he said in, in with respect to the green wave. So there's lots of optimism there. It is. So, and that's what we need for summer, isn't it? Hopes. And of course, we need uh, food for thought. And that's why we do the pushback talks, of course, to, to, to keep us updated. It's like the, an update and deepening of, of push to film. So, Leilani, this is like the question of today. How do we fund this podcast? Well, we have no funding for this podcast, but we have a growing group of Patreons who give just even small amounts every month. How many do we have now, Frederick? How many Patreons? Around 50. 50 close friends. Exactly. So we need more. Frederick and I love friends, don't we? If you have mighty enemies, you meet, you need many friends. It's like it's it's kind of sounds simple, but it's, it's actually for real. Uh, because we are all up against very mighty forces, so then we need to be many. Exactly. And we are getting more and more. Join us in the in our Patreon family. So you go to patreon.com and you look for Pushback Talks. And then you just add, I want to support with $2 a month or 5 or 10 or 10,000. No, probably not, but I mean, you're welcome. Leilani, uh, enjoy your summer day. Thank and you. To all our friends out there, talk about pushback talks, use the film in your debates, and and keep keep the good work up. Thanks, Frederick. Thanks, Lelani. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week.